We're talking about two kingdoms and one allegiance. For weeks, we've been talking about the kingdom of uh, the world being down here, the kingdom of the earth, and the kingdom of heaven being up here. And so last week, we were talking about worry and kind of how that gets in the way of our relationship with God. And we have this little graphic that we show every week. Well, we have the guy, first of all, listening to his iPod about ready to fall into a pit. That's always fun. Uh, But we have this graphic here, and this really demonstrates to me the idea that there's the kingdom of the world down here and the kingdom of earth, and there's this struggle in our heart for either one. We we want to live a life that is totally pleasing to God. We we want to live a life of adventure, a life that is... uh, uh, is exciting and one where we take risk and we we uh, do great things for God, but then we also want comfort because that's the way we are, right? Especially as Americans, where like the greatest sin is to be uncomfortable. We cannot be uncomfortable. That's no good. And so there's this idea that we we want to have this full abundant life in God, and then this other idea that. The world's tugging us down. And so it it breaks our heart. It says in the scriptures that we've been uh, stricken with many a grief because we focus after these two things. So I want to review just a little bit from last week uh, what Jesus was saying. And we're we're in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. This morning we'll be focusing mostly on uh, 33 and 34. So we talked about Jesus asked these three questions. Like, how can you be in worry and can add a single cubit to your lifespan? How can you, um, uh, doesn't your heavenly father going to take care of you? Where's your faith? And so these are the three questions he asked. Where's your faith? What, what kind of faith do you have? If, if my life is all worrying, what does it say about my faith in Jesus? Well, I have faith that he can save me. I have faith that I'm going to spend eternity with him. I have faith that he's all powerful and in control. And yet, For this situation, I'm worrying. So he asks, where's your faith? The second thing he asks is, who's your father? Your your heavenly father feeds the birds of the air. Are you not more valuable than they are? Is what he's saying. Why are you worrying? And then lastly, what's your future? Can worrying add really anything to your life? And the answer is no, it cannot. And so we looked at a little bit. Uh, where's your faith, who's your father, and what's your future. And, and so we kind of we stuck it, we left it there last week of just like, it is pointless to worry. And so but I didn't give any practical ways to stop worrying. So you had last week to worry, and then starting at the end of today, then your worries are all done. So it'll be, real, it'll be really cool. So let's go ahead and uh, check this out. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Remember we talked about that last week? Where's our faith at? My daughter has a microscope. And so um, when she first got it, we were like looking at everything, you know, everything (laughs) just disgusting so uh anyway um and so what we did was we looked at some cloth really closely we looked at some cloth and when you get down at the microscopic level eh, it looks just kind of it's just cloth it's just you know woven together 
But when you look at a flower petal under a microscope, it's a whole new world again that God has created. This is exactly what God's talking about. In his kingdom, the things that he's created, the more you drill down, the more beautiful it gets. So he goes on. So because of that, because you have a father that loves you, because worrying doesn't add a a single um, uh, minute to your life, Because you have this awesome faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Is that not a true statement? Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's not a very encouraging statement, but it's a true statement. Don't you wish Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow? No problems whatsoever for tomorrow. I looked at your calendar. Ah, it's clear. He doesn't say that. He says every day is going to be a struggle. Don't worry about it. It's interesting the way the Greek tenses kind of move through this this section of scripture, because the first time it says, do not worry, it literally means stop worrying. And then as it moves along and says it again, the tense is really don't start worrying. So it kind of covers all of us. If you think to yourself, well, okay, I'm not really worrying about anything right now. I'm going to fall asleep. Uh, Don't don't do that, please. I'm very sensitive to that. if that's what it said, then we'd say, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good. But it moves on and says, don't even start. And what I want to do real quickly, we're going to take a sidetrack from this section of Scripture. And we're going to look at another section of Scripture where some people got tripped up and what they missed. Basically, what happened was Jesus is starting his ministry is starting to heat up. And so what happens is that he's starting to get all these people around him who are kind of following him, but not really following him. They, they listen to his teaching. They come, you know, they come around. They see what's going on, try to catch a miracle every now and then. And so this one guy comes up and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> Have you ever done that before with God? We sing, I sing stuff all the time where sometimes I'm going, you know, <laughs> I'm saying that I'll do anything for you, Lord, but. I'm thinking about my day yesterday and I didn't do that, right? We do it all the time. I'll follow you forever. I'll, I'll give everything for you. And then, you know, we fall. So this, that's where this guy is. He's, he's where we are. And so Jesus says to him, okay, cool. But I want you to know something. Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So I just want you to understand that, okay, you're going to follow me. You're going to go wherever I go. You're going to do whatever I do. I just want you to know that when you start to focus on this kingdom, sometimes we neglect this kingdom. Uh-oh, right? So let's see what happens. So he goes up to another man at that time, and he says, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He says, oh, yeah, follow you. Have you ever done that? Someone says, hey, can you come here? Yeah, totally, I'll be right there. I just have to, there was a thing that I had to get with the other one. And so I'll see you later, you know. He had to take off, make excuses. 
Some of you, when I asked you to help me move, did that, okay? Yeah. I can't. I've got a back problem. That's what it is. No, I'm kidding around. Right? He says, follow me. Let the dead bury. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, don't focus on this kingdom. It amounts to nothing but death. You want to focus on here? Don't do it. Let the dead bury their dead. Let the pagans run after all those things. Let, that's not our focus. Our focus is the kingdom of God. See, that's what he says here. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I want your focus up here. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, this is the kingdom we're working for. Right after that, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So you can see the word picture Jesus is using here. He's he's using the thing of of, of someone plowing a field. If if I want to plow a field right down the middle of this this aisle here, and I'm looking back, right? I'm going to run right over my wife there. So I can't, as I look around, I'm, I'm missing it. Remember, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Right? That's what it means. That's what he's saying. He's saying, once you set your once your kingdom mindedness is up here, don't look back. That's what happened to Lot's wife. There was something about Sodom that she she liked, that kind of she longed for and looked back. I don't know what it was. But God said, Don't look back. So God's kingdom is always looking forward. Your pa- our past, what all that stuff is done. Our sin nailed to the cross. So he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back. So here we have these guys who said they're going to follow God. And God specifically, uh, Jesus specifically asked them to follow him. And he said, oh, let me get this stuff worked out first. Okay, now watch what they missed. They, 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 God, Jesus is calling them to this kingdom And they make excuses in this kingdom. And here's what they miss. Right after this, Jesus goes to 72 of them. And he says, he looks out and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray that the God of the harvest will send out workers. And then he sends them out. They're being commissioned. They're going. And it says they go to the different villages that he's going to go visit. So all of a sudden, he says, follow me in this kingdom, and he puts them into service. Now watch what happens when they return. It says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus is saying, guys, when your focus is here, none of this is going to affect you. Now, some people take this section of scripture to mean, oh, nothing's going to harm me. You know, some, some, didn't, you know, some like whacked out cults took this to mean you could handle snakes and stuff like that. When I joke with people about church. You know, what's your church like? I, I always tell them, well, you know, the snake handling's going pretty good, you know, just to freak them out, just for fun. <clears throat> Don't try that at home. Uh, that's not what it means. That's not what it means. If I go in, I reach in, I get bit by a scorpion, 
there's a good chance, I'm, I don't know what happens when you get bit by a scorpion, but whatever that is, it'll most likely happen to me. What Jesus is saying is, the snakes, the scorpions, what does he say most importantly? You overcome all the power of the enemy. It's useless. This stuff cannot touch you when your focus is up here. And that's what he's saying. Rejoice that the demons, uh, you know, that's great that the demons submitted to you. You can see kind of the kingdom here. But rejoice more that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice more that you're part of this kingdom. And so when we go through life, Jesus is saying, there isn't anything you should be worried about because you got your heart set on the right kingdom. Nothing can touch you. I get bit by a snake, I die, oh well. My name's written in heaven, I'm with Jesus. What possibly could happen that would freak us out? That's what he's saying. He's saying there's so much going on up here. Nothing down here means anything. Right? How many people know a guy named Demetrius Hook Mitchell? Here he is right here. Demetrius Hook Mitchell. You can't see it, but there's a guy sitting in a chair underneath him and he's dunking that basketball. He, uh, he can dunk over a car. like He did like a 360 dunk over a motorcycle. Right? Demetrius Hook Mitchell, great, great basketball player. One of the best basketball players in the nation. Here's, a, here's what happened to Demetrius. Those are prison clothes. <laughs> he had everything going for him. Everything. He lived in Oakland, California. Out of his circle of influence came Brian Shaw, Jason Kidd, Gary Payton, Antonio Davis, great. He was in a perfect basketball environment. Scouts were always there. He was better than all of them. But drugs and gangs got him. Now, I use this really lame example down here because we, I tend to focus on this kingdom too much and go, why did you do that? You could have had millions. You could have had millions of dollars. You could have had... Why did you you give that up? And God's saying the same thing to me. Why are you worried about this stuff? Here's what uh, Jason Kidd said about uh, Hook. Hook was by far the best player to come out of Oakland. There's no comparison to me, Gary Payton, Antonio Davis, Greg Foster, or Brian Shaw. If he just kept his head straight, he'd be dominating in the league right now. If he just kept his head straight. This is God's word to us. If we can just keep our heads straight, we'd be dominating in this league up here. If we can keep our heads straight, if we can not go after all the things that entice us, we keep our our eyes on on, on something greater than down here, we will be dominating in this league. We will be stepping on scorpions and snakes, and if they bite us, it ain't going to make any difference anyway, because that must have been when God wanted us to go. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have faith. Sometimes we... There are miracles that take place. My point is the power of the enemy has no power when we're dominating in this league. That's what he's talking about. Now, in Matthew chapter 13, this is all part of the intro, by the way. The rest of it goes a lot faster, so don't freak out that we're going to be here till Tuesday. Uh, but in, uh, in Matthew chapter 13, 
Jesus goes over this idea of the kingdom. Again, we're, we, we keep talking about this kingdom. And he gives seven examples of the kingdom. So what happens is he gives one example about a man who scatters seed. And we all know this story. A man goes out and he scatters seed and some seed falls on the on the uh, rocky soil and some seed falls on the path and some seed gets choked out by weeds, things like that. But then some seed. Some seed falls on the good soil and that soil dominates that league. It, it produces fruit 30, 60 and 100 fold. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he gives seven examples of this idea of the kingdom. And, and so the, 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 the disciples say, what does that even mean, this idea of the seed? And, and Jesus begins to explain to them, the reason I'm talking in parables is to f- first to fulfill some Old Testament scripture that says they're not listening and they're not looking. They're looking down here for a kingdom. But unless you really keep your ears open and you really keep your eyes open, you're going to miss it. And so he begins to tell him. And, and Jesus says something really interesting. He says, for this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. You understand that it's this kingdom. So I'm going to be speaking in parables. And those people who really want to figure it out, absolutely will figure it out. So he goes on, he talks about a man who scatters seed. He goes, talks about uh, a man who sowed good seed and the enemy sowed bad seed. Again, this was the idea that the enemy is hard at work in his kingdom and God is hard at work in his kingdom. And then the mustard seed, the idea that if we sow just a little bit of the kingdom of God into our lives down here, it's going to take root and grow and will provide for us. Again, same thing with yeast. You put a little bit in the dough, it affects the whole dough. You take a little bit of the kingdom of God and put it into a situation, it affects the entire situation. He goes on, a treasure in a field. A treasure in a field. This is the one that I love the most. Because it means the kingdom of God is all over the place, but we just have to find it. We just have to be passionate about, God, in this situation, where's your kingdom? I know it's here. I just have to find it. My internet team was hard at work this week, by the way, just in case you don't know, we have an internet team here at Living Spring and uh, you can join it if you want to. Uh, You just on your bulletin, there's a little thing called the flap. Just put down nerd team and uh, and an email address and we'll get it out to you. But I wanted to find some articles on um, some people who went after treasure. And uh, most of the people on the internet team found the same place, Oak Island in Nova Scotia. And what happened is in the 1800s, two boys found this this tree on Oak Island in Nova Scotia and it had this little thing and it was kind of pointing down to like a little hole. So they, they dug in the hole and there was a platform, a wooden platform. And they pulled the platform out and 10 feet down was another platform. And then 10 feet down was another platform. And then 10 feet down. They went down 90 feet 
and all these platforms. And so everyone was sure there was buried treasure there, that some pirates or whatever had buried this treasure. And so uh, once the boys were done, over a series of time, uh, companies began to come in and drill down there. And then the, the hole would fill up with water and they'd find a little gold chain. And the, it's down there, the treasure's down there. And they started drilling holes all over the island. And then a company came in. They've sunk $10 million into this pit. It is literally, I'm not making this up. It's where we get the term a money pit. Because they just keep sinking money into the pit to get the treasure and there's nothing there. Treasure, see, you've seen them on Discovery Channel or whatever. Some crazy guy who sold everything he had. and He's trying to find some sunken ship. And he's, you know, the police are after him. Oh, everyone's after him. That's how we need to be crazy for the kingdom of God. Where is it? I know it's here. This situation looks bad, but I know it's here. Jesus says, don't worry. So what do we do then? I mean, it's e- I mean how do you just not worry, right? I mean, it's easy for me to say, you know, someone says, John, I lost my job. Oh, don't worry. Oh, why, thank you. That was awesome advice. Wow, are you a doctor of theology? I'm not. That's why I can get away with advice like that. Yeah, don't worry. Be happy. Forget about it, right? Isn't that what it is? Right? What good is that? To just say, don't worry about it. It's no good. And that's not the advice Jesus gives. It's a command, don't worry. But that's not all. He gives us some substitute actions instead of worry. See, that's really what's going to have to happen. Our worry is going to have to be replaced by something. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about four replacement actions that uh, we see in Scripture. There are more, but uh, these specifically have to do with worry. And uh, in your small groups this week, you can come up with some others. Oh, the last one. Oh, there was the merchant looking for pearls and then a net catching fish for your seven. Uh, but there's four substitute actions. The first one is seek initially. So he says, don't worry. You've got a heavenly father that loves you. You've got a faith that can totally handle it. You've got a future that's already taken care of. If you worry, it's not going to affect your future one bit. He says, but instead As a substitute to worry, seek first. Your initial thought, your initial reaction is to seek for that treasure of his kingdom. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's absolutely possible. Let's say you're you're jamming along in your car. You get a phone call. You know, you look down and you bump into the car ahead of you. Right. You're going maybe three, four miles an hour. You get out. Hey, you know. Sorry about that. It doesn't look like there's any damage. You know, person comes out of the front seat of their car. Ah, oh, man, you're going, dude, seriously, come on. Stop messing around. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Let's let's exchange license. And, you know, you're going, this is not going cool at all. Sure enough. Six weeks later. You're being sued. You know the guy's faking it. Two miles an hour, come on. What's your initial thought? 
where is the kingdom in this? Where is the hidden treasure? I wonder what's going on. You find out some bad news about a family member. Devastating. Man, Lord. First and foremost, seek. It means the Greek there is to seek in order to find, to plot and plan. When we have that verse that says, be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, uh, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He's planning, plotting, searching. He wants to find you and devour you. The same tenacity is what we take when we seek first. We want to find out what in the world could God be doing right now? Where's that treasure in this situation? I can worry about it. I go, oh, no, oh, boy, we, we, I don't know if I have enough insurance for this. I need to find a lawyer. What? I can do that. But God says, initially, I want you to seek the kingdom. I want you to figure out what's going on there. So we ask ourselves some questions. Does this advance your kingship, what's going on here? I just lost my job. Does this make you any more of a king in my life? How, how, does, how does your, maybe we, we, we look there. Or we say, does this expand your kingdom? Are people going to come to Christ because I'm being sued? Or because I've lost my job? Or because I'm going through this? Does this increase my righteousness? Lord, are you doing this because of something in my life that needs to be removed? Is that the treasure? Are you taking something away from me because I can't, I can't handle it? That's seeking first. That's right when it happens, we go, man, this is going to be quite a treasure hunt. <laughs> this might cost me a lot on this kingdom to find out what the treasure is in this kingdom. And so we, we get these situations that come into our lives that are really a treasure map. <laughs> you know, whoa. That's, they're a treasure map. We get it and we go, whoa, man, this treasure's hidden. I can't find this. Well, you know, proceed to your office. Okay, you know, sit down. All right. Open my magic book and decipher the code. That's the Bible, by the way, right? Figure it out. Okay, I'm going to seek his kingdom. What great treasure do you have for me in this horrible situation? Paul was talking to some people and he was in a situation where they had lots of gods, lots of different idols and things. And then there was a, this like statue to an unknown God. And Paul saw that as his opportunity to bring the gospel to those people. And he said, hey, you guys, let me tell you about this unknown God. He made everything. He made you and I. He, he gives us each our breath. And then he says something really interesting. He says, we're all in our basic cir- circumstances because of him. He knows about it, essentially. You can look it up. It's in Acts chapter 17. But then he says this. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. See, Paul's reaching them exactly where they are, and he's saying, guys, 
you're going through all this stuff that you might seek him and find him and go, wow, the Lord was doing that through that situation. Have you ever had that in your life? You're looking back and you go, oh, man. But we, we had a situation here where I was on vacation. And again, this is I'm telling this story so you'll really feel sorry for me. It's the only reason why I'm bringing it up. I was on vacation and Kai was supposed to preach and then his laptop got stolen. So I'm at the movie theater and my cell phone text message comes on, you know, laptop stolen, must come home, right? And I'm like, no, I am not coming home. Somebody's going to have to do something because I'm not going home, right? That laptop being stolen has done more kingdom work at this church than anything I've ever come up with on my own. Anything. Now, that's an example of something where the treasure was just, I just like tripped over it, right? You know, it's like sitting right there. And I'm like, what's in this chest? (gasps) You know? But there are things like that all the time. You ever have those things where you look back and you go, man, the Lord was totally involved in that. Lisa and I lost a whole bunch of money one time. What what in the world could the Lord be doing there? Money? Come on. I didn't want to lose any money. I look back now. I am so thankful. I am so thankful. I can see all the things that came out of that. Seek first. God did this. God's put us in our place. God's put us here that we might seek him, reach out for him, and perhaps find him, although he's not far. He's right there. Look at what uh, Colossians 3, 2 says. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You're dead. Let the dead bury their own dead, Jesus said. Down here is done. It's worthless. Except how we can bring the kingdom and infuse it into this life. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we seek initially, right when it happens. God, where's the treasure in this? Where's your kingdom in this? Secondly, we uh, rejoice continually. We rejoice continually. So these, these guys who went out, the 72, they came back rejoicing. Because they were blown away at what the kingdom of God did. Did those 72 have any problems at home? Sure they did. did were they just 72 that went out that had no worries at all? Jesus said to them, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. That's scary stuff. But they come back rejoicing. Some, some treasures take longer than others to find. It's not the treasure that we rejoice about. It's the fact that God would consider us worthy to put this situation in. He, 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 he thinks we can handle it with him. Paul had this situation happen to him. The apostles did. It wasn't Paul. It was the other apostles. So basically, they're, they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Sanhedrin are upset about it. So they bring him before and they go, listen, stop. And they go, you know what? I, I don't think we're going to stop. So they, they've decided, you know what? We're, we're going to kill these guys. And then a, 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 one of the wiser guys of the Sanhedrin stands up and goes, look, if it's not of God, it's going to die anyway. But if it is of God, we better let him go. So they all thought that was a good idea. So they flogged them first. <laughs> Like, I don't get that. It's like, well, if it is of God, a little flogging isn't going to hurt anybody, right? So they, so they beat him up a little bit. And watch what happens. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing 
because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They never stopped. They had this terrible situation. Now be honest with me, because I had to be honest with myself. If all of a sudden you were like out of Starbucks, let's say, <laughs> and you know, you're just kind of talking to somebody and a bunch of guys come in and beat you up. I don't know about you, but I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to find out <laughs> where they live and I'm going to, I don't know. <laughs> Shake my fist at them, okay? These guys leave there. Totally, uh, the beating was totally unjustified. And they're like, Yes! The Lord must be doing something great in the kingdom. He's considered us worthy to be able to handle this. That's amazing. Now imagine if we replaced our worry for rejoicing. If we took, man, they're laying everybody off at work. You mean to tell me that the Lord would consider me worthy enough to handle getting laid off? What is that all about? He'd consider me worthy to go through this or go through that? Absolutely he does. Because he wants to go through it with us. See, remember when we talked last week, God does not provide for us in the hypothetical. So when we just drum up all these things, like, oh boy, what's going to happen here? God's not there going, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, don't worry about that. He sits there and goes, dude, when you're ready, I'm here. And then we go before him and he's like, now we're talking. Rejoicing, that's a, that's a tough replacement for worry. <laughs> Rejoicing, isn't it? But God calls us to it. In Philippians verse 4, 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. When we go through those situations that we would normally have to worry about, God is near. He's right there, ready for action. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.3, he talks about these things that you should be focusing on and you can rejoice about. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he goes through these three things. He's given us new birth into a living hope. He's shielded uh, us by God's power until the coming of salvation. There's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. Paul, Peter's saying, check this out. We got this stuff. What's his conclusion? In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter's saying, oh, yeah, the trials, the grief, all that. Oh, no, that, yeah, the totally. You're going to get that. That's coming. Yeah, whatever. You got this stuff to rejoice about, though. So what's the big deal? Right? Now, I'm not trying to minimize or minimalize, or I always get the two words mixed up. Whatever we're going through now, some things are very serious. But in eternity, it's just not going to be that big of a deal. I mean, take it. To eternity. It's not that big of a deal. You say, but you don't know what I'm going through. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of God makes circumstances almost irrelevant. 
if we're focused on his kingdom. So he says, in this you greatly rejoice. Thirdly, so we, we, uh, we seek initially, we rejoice continually, and we pray thankfully. We pray thankfully. So in this section of scripture that I'm talking about in, in Philippians, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then it goes right into this verse right here. Right here, there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Okay, let's stop right there for a second. With thanksgiving, we pray thankfully. Oftentimes, I pray, I pray, I pray, and then when I see that God's worked it all out, I thank him. Okay, I found the treasure. Oh, thanks, Lord, for bearing that treasure. Instead of praying thankfully throughout the whole process, Lord, I thank you that some, for some reason you thought I could handle this. And Lord, I thank you that you've given me the, the, the tools by which I can deal with this situation. Lord, I thank you that I haven't found it yet, but I know you're faithful. I thank you for your faithfulness that someday, either now or in eternity, you're going to show me where that treasure was. It's a substitute to worry. See, worry says, oh, I don't know if he's going to pull through. Thankful prayer says, Lord, I thank you that I know you're going to pull through. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Worry says, well, maybe yesterday and today, but I don't know about the forever part. Thankful prayer says, yesterday, today, forever, thank you, Lord, for being that kind of a faithful God. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which doesn't make any sense at all. When you are in this kingdom operating down here and you've got real issues down here, economic uncertainty, gas prices going up, you're getting sued, you're going through a divorce, you're blah, 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 your kids are freaks, whatever it is, right? (laughs) All this real stuff. Peace... Let me get an amen from the students. There we go, okay? Peace doesn't make any sense. See, as our focus is here, right, we go, oh man, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But as we begin to pray thankfully and lift our eyes up to God, oh, this is much nicer up here. It transcends all comprehension down here. And let me tell you, peace in the midst of trial, is one of the most effective evangelistic tools you have. Displaying the work of God in your life, going, I'm doing fine. It's tough, but I'm making it through. And then it goes into this killer Greek word. It's going to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It means to set up a military outpost. When we pray thankfully, we set up these guards around us. And so Satan walks up through the checkpoint. He's got his backpack filled with explosives. And, uh, and the guard's there. What's in the backpack? Because the guards can tell that Satan's kind of a shady character. They've been trained in this. So they lay the back. Oh, not just my lunch. You know, going through. Let's see what's in the back. Open it up. Fear, anxiety temptation oh because i've been praying thankfully there's a guard now 
is going to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. There's no room for those things. See, he, he's the God of this world. We're not interested in that. We want this world. So by praying, thankfully, our, our hearts and our minds are guarded by, there's military outposts protecting us. Now we can dismiss the guards. <laughs> we do that, right? We stop praying or we start worrying and, you know, you're dismissed. And, are you sure? Because it leaves this post unguarded. Yeah, no, I got it. Then we get up there and they're like, oh, that guy looks pretty good. Go on in, you know. Boy, that's a big backpack, you know. We lose our guard. Fourthly, we, we uh, oh, whoops. Oh, this was my point three points ago. The kingdom of God makes circumstances almost irrelevant. Okay, fourthly, focus intently. Focus intently. So what happens now? So we go from rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Right? Be, let your gentleness be reverent, uh, uh, um, evident to all. The Lord is near. Then be anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That peace of God will come. And then right after that, and finally, brethren, he says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So now that we've set up our guards, there's a little bit of peace to start focusing on this kingdom. Whatever's right, whatever's true, pure, right, lovely, good repute. If there's any excellence in anything, let your mind focus intently on this stuff. That is a worry replacement, okay? So we have this situation where, where, where things come and the, our natural sense is to worry, but we, we seek the kingdom of God initially. What, what is it, Lord, that you would have in this? And then we rejoice. I don't know what it is, Lord, but this is going to be one heck of a treasure hunt. It's going to be awesome. We pray, Lord, I don't know how to do it. I'm lost. I went 15 paces to the left. There's the oak tree. I don't know what to do now. And then we, we focus intently on what is true. What are the truths that we have? Whatever's true, noble, right, NIV says. I want to show another verse on this, focusing intently. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above. New American Standard says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, this comes in before the worry, okay? This is, this is being in the Word constantly. Constantly in the Word going, okay, all right, this, these are the truths of God. It's, it's, it's going to classes. It's, going to, it's being seeped, saturated in God's Word. Our mind is always on that so that when something happens, we're ready to go, right? That's what it means. Keep seeking the things above. I'm going to end with these two sections of Scripture really quickly. once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within us. It's our decision 
as to whether or not we're going to take full access of it. He gives us full reign. If we want to worry, if we want to focus on the things down here, knock yourself out. Jesus says in the Greek. (laughs) But I got something better. It's in you. You got access to it. It's our choice. And then finally, listen to this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Sometimes a situation comes and you just go, I, I, that's it. I don't know why. Why do these, th- these things keep happening to me? And watch what Paul says here to the Corinthian church. We do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. <laughs> That's true. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. As the worship band comes back up here. I want to read that again. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. We are in love. We are.